This is the Litigation Management Podcast, and I'm your host, the CEO of Case Glide, Wesley Todd. As you guys know already, the Litigation Podcast is where I interview some of the most successful people and influential people in and around the litigation management space. And as you know by now, we're not going for an update on Hadley v. Baxendale or uh, you know the latest uh, change of civil procedure. We're we're talking about like big picture future of industries, you know, uh, you know, you know, what's the, you know, talent gaps, things like that. What are the challenges that are happening and how do they impact this audience, which is adjusters and attorneys. We've had some unbelievable guesses. If this is the first time that you're listening and today is no exception today on the LM pod, I have Matt Margolis. Matt is the director of legal and risk management at Lloyd Jones. And I'm going to kick it to Matt in just a moment to tell you more about his background. Matt and I are going to talk about the current state of the insurance offense market uh, and what you need to know about that today. So thank you for joining the pod, Matt. Why don't you tell the audience about your background? And we're really excited to have you on. What an intro, man. That was that was great. Um, yeah. Thank you for having me on. You listen, it's an absolute pleasure. So my background, uh, I am in a, well, I guess a recovering attorney, just like yourself. I think that's the best way to put it. I uh, work at a company called Lloyd Jones, a stellar company that uh, is a private equity group and developer and manager of multifamily, uh, senior living, and hospitality. Um, and what I do there is I'm effectively their general counsel. Uh, I'm also their director of risk management. And uh, I've really taken over a risk management and a litigation management role. Prior to that, I was the vendor, right? I was the uh, insurance defense attorney for a number of years. And then I also was uh, mostly commercial construction uh, and some planners work. Uh, so I've really worn uh, as many hats as you can uh, in this space. And uh, yeah, I'm happy to be here. Well, thank you for joining. The way we got connected was that, and I don't know how the first one came out, but I just saw you would put the, you, you would post these things that like everybody talks about behind the scenes in the insurance <laughs> defense world. You would post, you, you would like literally just like say what everybody's thinking or what everybody's talking about behind the scenes. You put it on LinkedIn. You wouldn't just write out some long thing like some people do. You might do like a video uh, or, or, or some kind of quick, uh, you know, like Snapchat looking thing or Instagram story almost. And these things took off and you have, you know, hundreds if, and sometimes a thousand plus probably people commenting and liking and sharing these uh, perspectives. And I just wanted to have you on. So I'm, I'm really excited to have somebody like this on because it's so different and so unique. So for anybody that hasn't seen uh, Matt uh, on LinkedIn, you got to connect with him on LinkedIn. Let's just get that out there before we even get started <laughs> with the interview. But it's just like a really great perspective. That's like, it's, it's hive mind. It's like, everybody's thinking this thing. You say it for everybody. Uh, and you're not worried about who it offends. So I just love that. No, I appreciate it. I want to focus on, um, I want to make the most of this time for this audience and get this unique perspective that you have on the insurance defense market. You've, you've seen it from within. Now you're seeing it from the outside. You're not just aware of what was going on at your firm. You're aware of what's been going on in the industry. And there's a lot of pieces of that. And I, I you know, we were talking about it before the podcast, right? And we were just sharing about the challenge for these firms, and in particular for these attorneys, a young attorney that comes into this firm trying to carve a successful path. Matt, talk to me about maybe some of the challenges you saw and the challenges you saw from your peers to 
be in the insurance defense market and become successful? Sure, sure, sure. Yeah. So I, I mean, it, it's, it's the market's interesting, right? You know, you come out of law school and you work at one of these firms and no one really knows what insurance defense is. And it really has like a negative connotation when you say it, which it, really both you and I have this background. It's not uh, effectively any claim you see, well, at least what, like 90% of the claims absent some sort of commercial dispute is covered by insurance. Big bet, you know, bet the company style cases. A lot of them are covered by a DNO policy or like an environmental policy or whatever it is. So I want to get that out there for anyone listening. I am a big proponent of insurance defense related work. I love the work. Um, I love the folks that do the work. I love the adjusters and the carriers. So it's always a blast. Now, that being said, when you come into these firms, especially as a younger person, you have no idea what it is, right? You're, you're like, oh, you're going to do, um, everyone says the same buzzwords, right? You're like, oh, you're going to do catastrophic personal injury BI cases that are, you know, working for some of the biggest companies in the world. That's usually how you sell someone into a firm like that. And granted, you probably are, right? You may be doing um, huge, huge style cases that are covered by excess and excess and excess insurance. But a lot of the time you're not. A lot of times there is a volume component to it, right? So maybe you have coming in, you've got like 10 high exposure cases. And maybe you have, and I, you know, you, you know, just as well as I, you maybe have 40 uh, mid to low level exposure cases. So going into these practices, it's, it's, I think the way to be successful is time management more than anything. I think it's something they don't tell you. Now it's also being cognizant. I hate to say it, it's also being cognizant of politics, right? Some, some of these cases, um, and again, you have an ethical obligation to all of your clients, but some of these cases um, are going to be given to you by, by maybe a firm partner or a high up partner and you're going to put as much effort into all of these cases, but you got to be cognizant of where they're coming from. So there's a whole firm hierarchy that a lot of people are not even familiar with mm. when you come in, right? So you come in, you're like, hey, you're working with the managing partner on this case. And you may be a bit overwhelmed. You don't want to voice that. And you're focusing on something else. And the case you have with the managing partner slips through the cracks. Uh, and I got to say, I've seen that happen. And I've had friends discuss that. And it's not fun. It's not fun. So as a tip for success is knowing where the cases are coming from, being cognizant and prioritizing exactly the work. And again, you prioritize all the work, but let's, let's be practical here. You know, if you're, if you're working with a managing partner on a case that has a level of priority to it, that maybe a lower uh, level case and maybe uh, a case you're working with just a senior associate doesn't. Okay. So that's definitely one tip I got to give. I mean, I'm sure Wes, you probably have had a similar experience. Oh, uh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, certainly. I think it's great advice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's, that's one, I feel like I could talk about this all day, right? About how to succeed in the insurance defense realm. I think the other thing is, is, hmm, is, is not getting burnt out, right? I think that's another bit of advice because this is a volume-based work, you know, it's a volume-based game. And I think a lot of us are, you know, you always want to succeed. You always want to impress and you always want to put out, right? Because that's what we're, we're taught in law school. You don't say no and you don't say uh, you're tired. You don't say you have any sort of issue. And you've got, like we just discussed, you've got 40 cases and 10 of them are catastrophic related claims. And you're just moving forward and you're not saying to anybody, hey, I got to tap out for a bit. You know, this is a bit overwhelming. And it's okay to tell, you know, your partner, or whoever it may be, it's okay to tell those folks, hey, look, 
I'm not giving this case and I'm not giving our client and the carrier the due respect and attention that they deserve, I am a bit overwhelmed. And I think a lot of people, especially younger attorneys, are so afraid to say that, so afraid to say, hey, like, this is a bit much. Um, So you got to say something. And if you have a firm that says to you, you know, I don't care that you're overwhelmed or there's nothing you can do and just suck it up. And you can see your work slacking and the work product slacking and the case slacking. My other advice on that same front is get out, get out and find a better shop because that's, that's not, you know, it's not conducive to a great environment. It's not, it's not great for the case, the client and the carrier. So that's some other advice I have uh, in the same vein. So I'm going to, I'm going to treat those as teasers, Matt, because um, (laughs) what I want to do is I want, okay, so now, you know, this is going to be really tech, uh, you know, tactical and helpful for, for the attorneys and for those adjusters that, you know, love their attorneys, like all the adjusters do and want to help them <laughs> succeed. So let me back up a second, right? So what's the sure. reality going on at these firms? You know, what are, you know, you know, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, things might've been different. Volume might've been different. Rates sure. might've been different there might not have been this overabundance of lawyers, right? I mean, we've pumped through more lawyers uh, in the past 10 years than, and I, and this is, there was some stat, I, I can't remember exactly where it came from. I mean, we're talking hundreds of thousands of lawyers in Florida. Um, I mean, there's just, there's an over oversupply. So it's a, it's a buyer's market and the partners, you know, they, if, if you, if you don't work out, there's another, you know, hundred thousand yeah. that will. So there is this reality going on in the insurance defense world that's been extremely challenging for partners, for clients, uh, but really the people I think that are at the biggest disadvantage are the junior attorneys who um, have to kind of piece this whole thing together for themselves. So like, instead of like giving advice just yet, I want to say that because you carved a particular path that I want you to share. Sure. But instead of doing that, why don't you just... Um, you know, share what is going on in this market. What are these different pressures? What are these different challenges? Like, how does this system yep. work? Why is it, um, you know, extremely challenging? And what does a young attorney need to know, not about the solution, but about like the inherent, you know, concerns and problems that they're going to see at the firms? Ah, I got it. I understand what you're saying here. So that's a really good question. So I probably 10, 15, 20 years ago, uh, definitely 20 years ago, uh, you didn't have constant access to your phone, to your email. Um, the the practice of the law and, you know, coming in, you, you definitely don't realize it. I mean, you do know you're connected, right? I mean, everyone's connected, right? We're all connected on social media you know, perpetually, but you don't know you're connected to work and the job is not a nine to five. The job is almost a 24 hour job. So when these people are coming into these firms again with, let's say 40 cases, I mean, what young attorneys don't realize is your phone is always on. You're, you're, especially at some shops, some shops value that work-life balance, but a lot of these shops where volume is, you know, is really there. And the, 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 the model is, is it's a low billable kind of firm, but high caseload, man, you're going to see, you'll see emails. Let's be cognizant about it, right? Let's be real. You're going to see countless emails, phone calls, what have you at, listen, I, I, I'm no stranger to Saturday emails and Saturday phone calls, Sunday emails, Sunday phone calls. I, you know, I had a friend who used to, it was a requirement. You used to have to come to the office on Saturdays. Uh, not, 
almost almost as like a almost like a like a ser- almost ceremoniously right like you have to come into the office and have to do this work and you always have to have your phone on you always have to have the email so that's one issue that a lot of juniors attorneys are really dealing with is you can't shut it off you know you want to you want to enjoy your life and listen maybe you're making decent cash at one of these firms but what are you doing with it right because your your phone is always ringing um and your emails are always going off and you know you're always you're always on the clock and you know, it, it kind of raises another issue as well. Like that's one of the issues. The other issue you see is you're working at some of these shops that are low billable, like truly low billable. And you have to, like, it's just the model. You have to work like a worker bee. You have to work as much hours as you physically can because you have to, there's margins that as a younger attorney, you don't realize exist, right? There's a level of overhead associated with you. Uh, so you have to work twice as hard in a market where the billables, the billable rates are so low to make the same profit as an attorney, maybe billing four, five hundred, six hundred dollars an hour, you know, who maybe be able to bill less time. So all that together leads itself to a pretty potentially, depending on the firm, a pretty crappy work-life balance. And you see, because they see a lot of burnout, and as a junior attorney, that's a, that's a pretty it's a pretty big issue. And you're right. There's like thousands of attorneys and that's horribly, that's the mindset of a lot of partners, right? They're like, Oh, you know, you're, you're replaceable, you're replaceable. Um, but I think the market will reach a point where it just, you know, it's a free market. It's not going to work anymore. Everyone in the market participating in the market is going to say, I'm not going to work for a firm that requires that kind of environment, but we're not there yet, sadly. And I do know I have friends and I see it on social media and LinkedIn and whatnot, where people are getting toasted, you know, by a, uh, by the, sh- the constant on nature of the practice. And, you know, we were talking about it. And, and, and one of the things that I thought was really interesting that you brought up was we were just chatting before the, before yeah. we started this podcast and was that you think that like, you might come into a place and the goal might be one thing or the, or the, you know, you, you might have, you might be sold on this particular vision of one thing and that this firm is one thing and your job's going to be one thing, but then the economics of that firm dictate something differently. And three, four years later, you know, your career path, this is your life. Yep. Your career path has shifted. Um, and now all of a sudden it's a, it's a different type of firm doing different type of, uh, doing different types of work, or, or maybe it's not, maybe it's just you have evolved and you're now doing something different, may or may not have been your choice, may or may not have been uh, collaborative with you. What, uh, can you talk a little bit about yeah, yeah. what you've seen there? You know, it, it's funny. You see a lot of that at, because of first party property. I think at least in the state of Florida, I'm speaking to nationally, I imagine it's different per state, but you've seen a lot. I'm going to just use that as an example because it's so common. You come into these shops and you do maybe an OCI or, you know, you interview with these places and say, look, you're going to be doing catastrophic, again, catastrophic claims. Let's just keep using that catastrophic claims. And you show up and maybe you've got one or two catastrophic claims, but because the market dictates that there's such a volume of first party property work that, which there's nothing wrong with first party property, but there might be that much defense work because it's it's such a market, especially in Florida, that it's almost like a bait and switch. Now, granted, you may enjoy the work, but that's not what you signed up for. 
And I definitely see that uh, all the time, right? You're, and, and the markets change, right? I mean, look, you know, the market crashes and all of a sudden the work that shows up is foreclosure, right? And that's, that's a classic 08 scenario. So sometimes it's not the firm's fault, right? Just the market. Um, but other times you're right. There are some firms that do sell you a bag of goods that may not be right. May not be the right bag of goods, or it might not be exactly what, what gets you to partner too at some of these firms. I've seen that as well, where like the work that will get you to part to partner um, may not be the work you want to do. It may just be, there's just a hole and you got to fill that hole. But I see that all the time. Absolutely. All the time. That, that, yeah, I think you raise a good point here at the end about getting to partner and, and the, bigger question is what is the scoreboard for a young attorney and uh, if you ask insurers they might point to your cost right or your appeal rate or your uh, you know real and your attorney might point to your realization rate and so oh, yeah. all of a sudden you're really just being measured by the hours you work uh, and then maybe there's a little bit of a factor of how much the company actually pays for but mostly that's out of your control. What, and then, and then you mentioned, so that's one thing, right? So you're going to be successful to your customers that way. And then there's the, the, you know, so you're making money off of the work you do the hours. And then if you're really fortunate, you're making money off of business you bring in. Um, What, what is the scoreboard for a young attorney? What are the things that they're supposed to focus on that's supposed to lead them to becoming partner? And most importantly, What's like what's wrong about the current situation? Like what's the challenge? So you could speak to that about like sure, you know, what's it look like now for an attorney? Why is that confusing? That's like a question I think every young attorney asks, right? Like, how do you get the partner? Um, and it's such a mysterious question for a lot of these firms. A lot of firms don't advertise it or they say if you're here for 10 years and you hit these imaginary benchmarks, you'll magically become partner. I think a lot of firms. The path to, and we, we got to talk about this. We got to talk about the non-equity and the equity side of it, right? Because a lot of people will be like, oh, you'll be partner in X amount of years if you just put in your bills. But that's a non-equity partner. And a non-equity partner, I'm sorry if I'm going to offend someone who's listening to this on the, on the podcast, but a non-equity partner and a senior associate are not very different. Are not very different. Pay might be a little different. You might be given some more responsibilities, but it's not. So a lot of these firms, you are told to, uh, bill your heart out and like you'll be partner. And a lot of those firms, you bill your heart out with no business development, no no book of business of your own or no nothing like that. You're a non-equity partner. And that, that might be great. You've got a cool title. You could flash on social media, maybe you have business cards. But practically speaking, you're really topped out at a certain point. And if you're looking outwards at other firms, maybe you want to lateral somewhere, you're, you're likely going to lateral as a senior associate of counsel, maybe a non-equity partner somewhere else. And for career development, that's not where you want to be. Where you want to be, the end goal, if that's your, that's your real, you know, idea of like the pinnacle of law, uh, you want to be a equity shareholder. You want to have a group of associates potentially under you. You want to have a piece of your book of business. Like that's the true, or that at least should be the goal. So to get there, like you got to do business development, really. Like you got to bill your hours, but you really got to be like, look at this big book of business I brought in through business development that, which will lead to the problem with the firms. But look at this business development I did all on my own. These are not clients that previously existed at this firm. Um, and the, this is generating actual income. There's a real realization of my bills, right? They're not getting cut, you know, 
to to umph degree so there's no profit behind it um so that's that's practically speaking that's how you become a real partner is really the business development side um is really bringing in something to the table now the pro here's the problem so the problem with this whole model at these firms is kind of twofold one you have a lot of firms that and I, I think this is just systemic in the culture right like uh you have a lot of firms where people fight over origination, truly mm. fight over origination. Oh yeah, like uh, that's actually, Jimmy's my buddy. I know Jimmy is your client and Jimmy's been sending you work for about three years, but actually I met Jimmy three years and two months before you know this whole relationship started. And although he didn't bring me any business, uh, it's mine. It's actually mine. So you don't get the origination credit, right? That's something I've seen. I've seen firms go... Um, especially with carriers, carrier relationships or, or, you know, people will hold those to the chest, but I've seen that with carrier relationships too, where it's like, you're, you are a senior associate or an associate you brought into business, but I'm the partner above you. And we generally don't award associates origination credit. We'll award it to the partners, mm. which is, which is ridiculous. You see that too. Um, and you see a number of ways that firms will um, not give associates non-equity partners, even some shareholders credit for uh, the business they bring in. So that's really a detriment to becoming a partner. Now, the other issue is how do I even bring in clients, right? How, how do I even engage in business development? And a lot of these firms, especially firms that work on a very big volume basis, they're not going to tell you. They're not going to teach you how to do business development. They may like uh, sponsor classes or, you know, maybe have talks on it, but they're never going to really give you the insight uh, on, on true business development and how to go out there and bring in clients or even introduce you potentially to their clients um, so that there's some sort of cross-pollination where you can bring in other kinds of work. They don't want to do that because it's a volume business and they need you to be a worker bee and they need you to bill as much as you can. That kind of goes back to my first point about it's a volume. You got to work. You got to make sure you bill as much as you physically can so it's profitable. So it, it's kind of a twofold issue with the industry. The first being who gets the origination? Second is, how do I even get to the origination? So that, I, I've seen that issue. A lot of junior associates are pulling out their hair, either with, with the second point or the first point or some combination of both. I think that this is really great. And because you're, look, let's just face it, like this is a challenge facing most of the people doing most of the work in our industry, right? So mm -hmm. this is important. We have to talk about it. I am sure, like like you mentioned, that there are some firms that are figuring out ways to do this right, to do right by their attorneys, and maybe not whole firms, but maybe there's particular managing attorneys. Um, you know, I'd love to hear from from those folks about what's working, right? Like like how sure. are they? Because all the things you brought up to me are kind of systemic. Like there kind of is a conflict between two people or a boss and a and a junior. Um, and business origination. It's not really in that boss's best interest. Now, that boss may be just a superb leader and mentor and may still help that attorney, at which I had a boss like that, but I think I was one of the few. Um, and, and they may do that it's sort of against their own interests. But really, what, what the only way they'll do that is if they're so successful that it doesn't really make a difference for them. How often are you going to see that? So exactly, I, I think this is, this is really important because you need to just like just, hey, this is the reality for most of the people doing most of the work in our industry. And, 
if you're doing something different, if you're listening to this podcast and you're doing something different, talk, you know, tell us about it. We'd love to hear about it because we got to figure out things that work because these issues that whether or not, you know, maybe they can be fixed, maybe they are being fixed, but there's an inertia towards these conflicts just based on the financial model of the law firm. Okay. What does that lead to? That leads to a talent issue and insurance yep. offense. Matt, I want you to talk a little bit about um, the decision that a young attorney, and we're going to talk about, we're going to end this um, soon with sure. what's the pathways, you know, what's the pathways for success. I'm hearing of all the problems where the pathways, but just talk sure. about what is, what are those options that a young attorney has year two, year three, and they're looking at within their firm, within the industry, or frankly, against the industry? Oh gosh. Yeah, I could. So this is at least, again, for everyone listening, this is my uh, thoughts on the industry and my thoughts on the career path trajectory or what at least I've seen it looks like. And again, young attorneys talk, especially through social media. So this is kind of where I'm thinking. You come in as a first year, let's say you come in, let's, let's keep talking in the realm of, of a firm that's mostly a defense firm. So you come in in your first year. Your first year is to be successful. It really is learning the industry, learning how to bill. If you get client contact your very first year, uh, hopefully you do. And it, it could easily be you're on adjuster emails, right? Just an email, there's an initial report that went out and maybe you're not referenced anywhere, but you're on the CC line, you're copied to the email. So not blind copied, actually copied. So an adjuster at XYZ insurance company at least knows you exist. From there, probably around the end of year one to year two, you should be starting to make that peer out, right? You should be starting to have conversations with adjusters, right? So at that point, adjusters should be, because look, we're all, I, I give out my work to legal vendors. I've got, I've got my own panel of attorneys. I know who does the work. I know who doesn't do the work. I know uh, plenty that in a, an associate of mine, and I prefer it, right? I, I know associates are the ones really getting in down and dirty and getting things done. So I want to have conversations with the associate attorney actually doing work on the file because they're going to know what the discovery says. They're going to know what, um, you know, actual case strategy, at least on a micro level, they're going to know exactly what it is. They're going to, uh, you know, they're, they may have a better lay of the land because they're working 50 files right now, you know, and they're much more in the grain. So at that point, you got to be talking to adjusters. You got to be talking to clients. You need to be actual contact. If you're not getting contact by year two, this is, this is my suggestion, you know, uh, you know, leave plain and simple, get out, get mm -hmm. out. Because that's, I think by year two, you should be getting client contact. If you're not getting client contact, get out of there. By year three, you should be able to be talking to adjusters. You may start having a relationship with adjusters. At year three is the time when you might, you might start seeing case referrals and granted uh, there may be an origination fight there, right? That's a relationship with somebody else, but you'll at least get the lay of the land at that point, And you should at a minimum start getting files. Um, from, from there, now this is the problem with the industry. Once you get to that three to five mark, that's like the cliff. Are you going to be a, a non-equity partner uh, or are you going to go plaintiff, right? Because I think traditionally, we spoke about this earlier, traditionally, law used to be this, right? You go in and you put in your time and at the, the end of your senior associate career, you're either given the option to buy in as equity or they kind of shove you out and you go in house. You go to a client, right? You go work for a client as a general counsel. I think for the defense world, it's a little different. In the defense world, you reach a point where 
you think about it and you're like, well, is this what I want to keep doing? Do I have a good relationship with my clients? Do I have a good relationship with the firm? Um, do I, am I happy or do I want to go plan it? And that's what a lot of people do. And you're seeing a lot of talent leave the defense realm and go plaintiff. So at that five, that three to five year range, that's when you're starting to see people go plaintiff um, that otherwise could be tremendous, tremendous defense attorneys. Um, from there, you know, I think you're going to, you know, if you stay on and you've got a great environment, you're going you're gonna to have a book of business or at least a small book of business. You start to grow that up. And that's when you ultimately end up as a shareholder equity partner. But uh, that's at least my thought on the defense career trajectory. That's what it looks like for me. Yeah, I think that that was really helpful, really tactical. I completely agree that, look, there's the, there's the, the substance and then, and then the procedure. Like you, you need to be, you need to have leverage within your firm. So whether or not you're the originating person, if you are a key client contact by year three, and that's that's pretty fair. Like, look, if you're three years into your career and no one cares about you outside of your firm, like that, you know, that's on you. The problem. problem. It might be bad. It might be a bad leadership problem, but um, you know, your that three years is a lot, a big chunk of your life to give for no recognition outside. So there's. You know, there raises some different questions, but I think that's really good advice. Um, and then I think your point about, you know, evaluating your options at that point is, is really helpful. I mean, if you do your job and you do what Matt just said, you should be able to have a successful career with an insurance offense. Um, and the, the numbers, you know, can stack up. So if you had a very large firm where they already have all the clients, you know, then your path might be different because you may not have that many new clients to add, but you may be building this great book of existing customers um, that, and, and, and you have a conflict there too, because if you took them elsewhere, that doesn't really add value to the client, right? Like, mm-hmm. and in fact, it might even disrupt the client. So, yeah. Um, you know, you, you realize these challenges, but for you personally, you need that leverage that you are um, valuable to the customer uh, and that you're you're making money for your boss, but the client knows that you're a big part of that. I, I think that that was really helpful, Matt. I appreciate it. That's, that's what it looks like. That's what it looks like to me. And I think when you're a young attorney, uh, you're not given the end game, or at least you're not just, you know, the end game isn't discussed, it's not discussed in law school or, you know, Amongst friends, even I talked to plenty of my buddies that, you know, about their, what their trajectory is and even some younger folks and they don't know, and it's never really discussed. So, you know, I'm hopeful that, you know, folks can hear this podcast and, or even give me a call or an email or what have you. And we could discuss what your options are because, you know, people are not going to be completely straight because it's against their interest to be completely straight up about you know, the industry as a whole. And that's probably another detriment to it. I think there's, you know, as much knowledge there is out there and information, I think plenty of firms lock up certain aspects of firm politics and the dynamics of some of these firms pretty tight and you almost black box it. And uh, a lot, it's to the detriment of a junior associate. Oh, real quick. This is why, this is why what you're doing is so important. I mean, I'm sure you're just doing it for fun and because (laughs) you, you like doing it, but 
what you're doing actually is really important because like I said, a lot of people won't talk about this stuff. Uh, and it's not, you know, me and you talking about it, it's not really going to help a whole lot. You need everybody to talk about it because we do need to make a lot of progress here because the fear is what you said, everybody going to the plaintiff side, which is happening. Yep. Uh, and that's terrible for our industry. And that's terrible for, you know, that three to five year period you just talked about because, you know, there really is no growth path there. And, and it's a basically a restart. Um, so what you're doing is really important because you're getting this stuff out there, whether you like it or not, you need to address it and you mm. need to figure out your path. Why don't you just go ahead and talk about like you obviously made some decisions along the way about the type of lawyer you're going to be, uh, the career path you want. And what were the, you know, what, what was, what, what was the impetus for having a voice in the industry, sharing that voice uh, and how has that helped you? Yeah, so uh, I like to call it like the new non-traditional career path. Um, so I I was working at a firm, um, honestly, a fantastic firm. Uh, and I I may have seen some things, you know, at that particular firm, and I won't go into specifics, but I definitely saw things from all my friends, right? And, and people talk, people talk. So all my friends would talk and they'd say X, Y, and Z is an issue. And I would be taken aback by certain things I'd heard, right? I'm like, oh my gosh, that's that's crazy. Why are you putting up with it? And he goes, what do you mean? Why am I putting up with it? You're not dealing with this. And it blows my mind. I'm like, oh my gosh, that's crazy. So I started to post on LinkedIn and social media because LinkedIn was probably the best outlet because all the attorneys and, and folks were on there. Um, and I'm terrible at Twitter. I'll admit it. If you could follow me on Twitter, just like, just delete me. So um, I, would, I, would try, <laughs> I would try on LinkedIn, right? And I was like, LinkedIn, at least people acknowledge my opinion. Um, and for better or for worse. So I started to post on LinkedIn and say, look, you know, memes and funny stuff because people have, you know, people don't have time to read long, thorough posts, a diatribe about the issues of the industry. People want to laugh and they laugh. And, you know, I mean, that's the point of comedy. You laugh at it and then it makes you think about it. You're like, oh, you know, haha, that's a funny meme. I think I posted something recently where it's like, it was Uno and the card was like, um, pay attorneys for their origination credit or pay attorneys for the clients they bring in or draw 25. And the next picture is a guy with like 45 cards in his hand and people read it and they laugh and they're like, Oh, that's funny. And they go, well, that brings up a good point. Do I get origination? And it started a whole discussion on there, you know, 20, 30, 45, 50 comments deep. It ended up being viewed by maybe like 50 or 60,000 people. Wow. And it started a conversation, right? It started a conversation. Some folks from other firms actually commented and said, well, I don't give out origination credits for this. I, I, your credit, what you get, your value added for bringing the clients is I taught you how to bring in that client. And that started that discussion, which I don't, I don't agree with that logic, you know, but that's their logic. So it started these conversations. So originally kind of started out poking phone at the industry, seeing what people will say. And now at this point, I post a lot of things because I get, I'm, I'm passionate about it. So I see a lot of people getting stepped on or I see issues in our industry and I just, not to, not to act like a crusader, because I'm not, I'm just a, I'm, I'm, I think the best way to put it is a meme lord, which is the worst Gen Z millennial term ever. But um, I, I, I'm just, a, you know, I'm, I'm so riled by it. I'm so upset about it. And people are willing to, to listen and view and laugh at some of my stuff. So I thought, you know, I should at least do my part and make fun of the industry and hopefully promote some level of change. So I think people have seen some of my stuff and they're, you know, they think about it. I saw a senior partner at a firm fairly recently post on LinkedIn and say, look, you got to pay your associates origination credit. And, you know, it, it hit me right in the heart. I'm like, all right, you know, people are listening. 
Yep. And real, real quick, um, I, I think that's really helpful for everybody. I, I want to want to one last piece of advice for the uh, insurance defense world. I'm, I'm, I'm assuming that you were afraid to probably post the first time. Um, you were probably afraid to reach out to that client the first time. Uh, probably afraid to send out that email and CC your boss the first time. Petrified. Um, as opposed to them sending it or you sending it through them. So, you know, next steps for these folks, like you probably, it was probably a lot, um, probably a lot less scary than you felt, right? For taking these steps forward. Oh yeah. I would, uh, I think, you know what? I could actually almost pinpoint it. I think I, I, I maybe had a conversation with an adjuster on LinkedIn and that in itself was frightening for me, right? Because that's a potential client. And I don't know if that was someone's, you know, friend in the firm. I don't know if I was burning a bridge. And I added that person on LinkedIn. And the, the minor heart attack that I had was completely outweighed by the fact that I just created this connection with, um, you know, with an adjuster, a potential client, a potential, you know, a friend. And, you know, it, it, it's super scary when you first do it just pull the trigger, you know, client, I'm a client now of, of a bunch of law firms and I'm, I'm as approachable as approachable can be. It's okay to do it. It's okay to engage in business development. Don't be heavy handed. I'll say that. Don't, don't be too aggressive, but you know, it, it's okay to reach out. And I know it's scary, but just once you do it the first time and you start to engage in that level of business development, it becomes easier and less scary and less stressful to do it. So just do it. Uh, but, but to Matt's point, like do it well, Matt, yeah. what you've done is a masterclass on this because you're not selling, <laughs> you're not selling You're yeah. and you really actually, what's even you know greater about it is in your current role, you don't even have, you know, a short-term benefit from, you know, getting this type of audience, but that's when it's the most powerful. That's why you're getting a thousand likes and, 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 and everybody in the industry knows who you are. Uh, and I've, you know, we work in industry, you know, I have thousands of users at Case Glide. Um, you know, I know the names, I've never seen their face. I don't know anything about them. And you pop up and I feel like I know you really well. I know you're having a baby. <laughs> like I know everything about you. That matters. So it's because of the quality of content. It's because of the selflessness of the content. And uh, because you took that risk to put your name out there and put your thoughts out there. Uh, and you probably, you know, you probably have a lot of options now and a lot of flexibility with your career. And, and I just really appreciate you sharing that with this audience. Cause we know, you know, being in the insurance defense firm is fun. It was the most fun yeah. I ever had with, with, you know, all those other, you know, young attorneys trying to find their way. Um, and we love it, but it's, you know, every, before you know it, everybody's going to be gone and you don't want to be the last one there. And if you do, you want to make sure you're getting paid handsomely for it. So, you know, this, I, I think we got to do this again. Um, I really appreciate your perspective and I really recommend that everybody follow you. Um, could you just tell people how to uh, follow your, uh, you know, what the best way to follow you is? Yeah. So um, you could follow me on, on LinkedIn. If you just look at Matt Margolis, you'll, you'll find me. Uh, you could follow me on TikTok uh, for some of the funny videos. And that's, I think that's Matt's law is the, uh, is the handle. Twitter, I'm not even going to give it. Just, just let me let me wallow in the Twitter pity that I am because I just can't do it right. But those two mediums, um, I think, are are probably the best way to to get in touch with me. 
Well, I really appreciate it, Matt. This was fantastic. Thank you for sharing this very unique um, and, and successful story with the Litigation Management Podcast, and let's do it again soon. Oh, absolutely. I appreciate it, Wes.